0: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to... And the
1: Oscar goes to... The winner, it's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you
2: never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar.
0: I am Katie Rich. I'm here with David Canfield. Hello. And with Kara Warner. Hello. I skipped Richard Lawson, which feels very weird, honestly, and it's (laughs) such a groove. Um, Thanks to various scheduling things like uh, Dune 2 screenings and Jury Duty, uh, we have lost Richard this week and we're recording a little earlier than usual, um, but we have fun stuff to talk about. There is a brand new Oscar category for the first time in over two decades. We're going to talk about the new casting Oscar and what that might mean at future Oscar ceremonies. And then, David and Kara, you guys have been busy around downtown on the awards circuit going to all kinds of events so we'll get your dispatches from those as well. Um before we get into all of the award season news, I wanted to remind everybody that we are running our first ever Oscar Pool. We mentioned it last week. We've got an incredible response from listeners. We are still accepting submissions to be part of it. Space will be limited, but if you would like to take part, email us, littlegoldmen at vf.com, and put Oscar Pool in the subject line. If we can include you, we'll be getting in touch with you via email this week with instructions on how to join. You can pick your Oscar Pool. You can see how your fellow listeners stack up. And on Oscar night, there will be a live leaderboard so you can see who is ahead, including your hosts, right here. Send us an email, littlegoldmen at vf.com. Put Oscar pool in the subject line and hopefully we'll see you there. So, guys, I think we were all pleasantly surprised and delighted that there was really major awards news last week. The Academy does not often add new Oscar categories. They took away one of the sound categories a few years ago at the behest of the people in that branch. Um, And it was the lobbying of a branch of the Academy that finally, finally led to the establishment of a casting Oscar, which will be handed out first in 2026 for the films of 2025. So it's a ways in the future. Kara, you talked to some people in the casting branch right after this happened. You got the uh, the on-the-ground reaction, which I think was pretty much just elation, right? Yeah, it was so fun. I mean, I I don't think any of us
1: expected that, that news to cross our desks. So it was just fun to receive that. And I spoke with two casting directors, Sarah Finn, who was responsible for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Black Panther, and then... Abby Kaufman, who did Nyad and Rustin for this year. Um, both of them, obviously, very experienced with ensembles. So Sarah was... Uh, I talked to her pretty quickly after the news broke, and she was just so elated. She said that when she got to her office, they got the news and then went and got champagne and celebrated the office. Um, and then... <laughs> which I thought is like, that's great to hear that they're celebrating. And that they had just been wanting it for a long time and didn't know if it was going to happen. Um, and Avi said the same thing, that they just, they were really grateful for everyone who had been advocating for them um, because people had been fighting for plenty of years. And they were, both Sarah and Avi were just getting tons of messages from people that they've worked with over the years and and people were so excited for them and they both felt Really, sort of warmly received and and recognized just from the news alone. Um, and then they were still both trying to wrap their heads around, like, what will that mean? You know, how, who who might win it in the future? I mean, it was just uh, a lovely time.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's been over a decade since the movie Casting By came out in 2012, arguing basically for exactly this. And I know that there's been a ton of lobbying within the casting branch of the Academy, which has been there all this time, even though there's no award for it. And, David, I think to preview your time at the luncheon, I think you talked to someone in the casting branch at the luncheon and kind of saw the palpable relief in person. Uh,
2: a governor of the casting branch, in fact, who seemed kind of stunned that they pulled it off. <laughs> uh, Richard <laughs> Richard Hicks, who's uh, cast a lot of great films and series. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that in general, because it happened so rarely, even though it was being pushed for quite aggressively, there was not necessarily the most confidence that it would actually happen. I mean, I was quite shocked when that email came in from the Academy. So uh, it is a moment to celebrate and a moment uh, that doesn't come around too often.
0: So I think there's still a lot of questions about what this will look like at the Oscars themselves. Um, there was a report last week in Matt Bellamy's newsletter at Puck that part of the Oscars contract with ABC means they can't add new categories to the broadcast. There's not, There hasn't been reported confirmation of that, but we know, obviously, that they're constantly trying to find ways to shorten the show. They tried to cut some categories from the show before. Um, we don't know if it's going to be part of the main broadcast, um, which I think... You know, once that becomes more public, I think might be a little kind of dampen some of the enthusiasm here, right?
2: I think what we're going to see is the beginning of a, a larger rethinking of some of the broadcast. I have a hard time seeing them introducing a new category that is ostensibly equivalent to other branch craft categories. In fact, this is an above-the-line category. This is a pre-production category. And to be treated unequally, Um, I'm just not sure how that would go over. I think it's more likely that you will see a conversation about all of the categories that are not star-driven in the same way that we had that conversation a few years ago and it did not go over well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, does that impact the shorts or, you know, certain other categories? That's probably a better question. The contractual sort of loophole here is... Can they come to an agreement where they add in a new category, sometimes, maybe, um, while still making ABC happy, meaning mm-hmm. not overstepping the show? Because technically, they have lost a category. The Sound categories mm-hmm. merged since that um, was enacted, but still they would not be able to technically put on a new category um, without, I would imagine, making some concessions.
1: I would love to talk to the lawyers uh, for ABC <laughs> who put that clause in there. I mean, it's pretty astute. I'm like, who is thinking that far ahead? We we cannot have more categories added.
0: <laughs> oh, you imagine. I mean, they renegotiated this contract like not all that long ago. And given the way that um, award show ratings have declined, you imagine just like every possible thing that they figured out to get a show on network for that long. I mean, I think the the question of how long the Oscar should be and how the network works, like, that's something we'll probably talk about more after this year's show and how the ratings come in. But as I was thinking about this, this conundrum here, ABC has a very good streaming service that uh, I subscribe to for live television called Hulu Live. And the fact that they could maybe use that and... Yeah, include part of the yeah. show and not hand out Oscars in front of only the people in the room. And so that you have to Google to find out whether Riz Ahmed won his short film Oscar and use your streaming service to do these things. It just it seems crazy to me that someone couldn't figure out a way to do this to maybe not have everything on ABC, but have it. On the streaming platform where people are going to be watching these things anyway, there, there has to be a solution and it will make me furious if they're just like, oh, no, it's just in the commercial breaks and that's the best we can do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, technically, we have some time,
1: but not that much time for them to figure this out, right? Because the first award will be handed out 2026.
2: hmm. I think it's enough time. <laughs> Fingers. Crossed. I would. I would hope. I would hope it's enough time. But yes, I think that's exactly right, Katie. And, and it's not going to be a situation where. I mean, I think it's not. I don't have reporting on this, but I would assume that the one new competitive category is not siloed off into this lesser space. I think it's a it will be a larger conversation and it has been a larger conversation about how to broadcast the show going forward in a way that is both honoring all of the nominees, all of the, you know, parts of filmmaking which is so important to what the Oscars do and that makes a good show that can bring in as wide an audience as possible.
0: I mean, I have to say this, and I know it's an apples and oranges thing, but the Super Bowl went on for uh, like four hours or something like that and was the most watched television broadcast since the moon landing. I know it's <laughs> not the same. I know you cannot create the kind of drama you get in the, the Super Bowl going into overtime, but like audiences can exist if you believe in them and you give them a reason to come. And it doesn't matter how, sh- how long your show is. And nobody who ever broadcasts the Oscars seems to believe that.
1: True. But I will say one caveat with Super Bowl audience numbers is that I'm pretty positive that not that entire bulk of numbers was watching the entire game, right? So they do the average. So yeah. people can tune into the Super Bowl just for the fourth quarter or just for the halftime. So.
0: Or you could have an extra hour on the front of the Oscars with some of the categories that maybe like people are going to be cooking dinner before they get a chance to watch. I, like, There's just there's so many ways to do it. Yes, um, to talk about the more fun aspect of this, which is who might win these awards or who might be nominated, we got a lot of listener emails kind of wondering, like, if it were this year, who would be in there? Is it basically going to be a Best Ensemble Prize? I think that's something that's going to be hard to know. And maybe only 10 years into the casting Oscar, that do we know that? But the thing about casting directors is they watch everything. And so I think the this branch of voters could nominate some really interesting stuff. It might not only be like the five biggest movies of the year. They're really paying attention. And that to me is an incredibly thrilling prospect of this new category.
1: Yeah. And I one of the things um, that the two wonderful casting directors kind of mentioned both separately is that they're so used to and accustomed to advocating for actors. Like, they have been advocates. That's That's kind of their whole job. So I think that's a really incredible part too, because if it's, if it's casting for, you know, is someone going to discover an actor who becomes, you know, an award-winning talent or, or ensemble, like you say?
2: It's also a very small branch. There are under 200 members as of now, which naturally will lead to, um, a little bit more variety than some of the bigger branches in their picks. Um, especially if they do see everything. I think what will be interesting and what I'm slightly concerned about is the shift from the nominations phase, and I think it very well may be a shortlisted category, actually, um, to the winner's stage. Because do when you open this particular award up to the whole Academy, it's reasonable to assume that some people are going to be voting on this as an ensemble prize or yeah. for their favorite movie, which yeah. will probably have a significant cast, And you hope for a little bit of um, variety there. I know that since BAFTA introduced their casting award, it's been a really weird assortment of winners. But like a good model for it is a couple years ago, they gave it to West Side Story, um, which was a very deserving winner um, in a year where that movie was not winning a whole lot else. So I hope that that is a good model for how the Oscar will work. Um, But BAFTA also gave it to Joker one year. Um, which I don't understand.
0: That's that's (laughs) very intriguing. I mean, I, I was thinking about that, you know, possibility if it were this year, that maybe the casting directors who see everything and kind of understand more of how you put an ensemble together would go for something like Society of the Snow, where you're casting all these actors who, like mm-hmm. many of whom haven't worked before, and you're finding them right for that part. And then in the end, if Oppenheimer wins, that's good casting too. You know, like that ensemble yeah. took a lot of work to put together. So maybe it would be okay if in the, the winner kind of stood in for an ensemble, but you get a lot of interesting examples to stand alongside it in the nominations phase.
2: There are a few years of late where I would think that you wouldn't see a best picture Um, best casting overlap. Like, I think CODA would win. I think Parasite would win. I Mm -hmm. guess Nomadland wouldn't win because none of them were really cast. But um, for the most part, I do, and Everything Everywhere would definitely win. So um, it may not be a ton of variety, but certainly with the announcement, I'm I'm pretty excited about what the nominations will look like.
1: Right, and you'd think you'd have to give credit to the casting director who found the actors, advocated for the actors, who then are award-nominated.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love uh, listener theories about who they think would have been nominated, who should have been nominated. And um, maybe we could also be placing our bets. I mean, there's so many, like, iconic casting directors who have been working forever who, like, would be, you know, could just jump up and finally win their first Oscar. Like, get up there, Ellen Lewis, get your prize. Um, so put your bet on who you think is going to be the first <laughs> winner. Um, yeah, it'll be a really exciting one to watch in the years ahead. So now we're going to get ourselves back on the circuit. And David, um, you are fresh off of the Oscar nominees luncheon where you had what I think is easily the most consequential celebrity encounter of the entire season. I'm talking, of course, about Messi, not the soccer player, <laughs> the dog. I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> uh, you're you're fresh off the nominees luncheon as we record. And truly, based on your report, uh, the dog from Anatomy of a Fall was the biggest celebrity in there. He was the Tom Cruise of this
2: year. I don't even think it's close. Like, (laughs) I think Tom Cruise has nothing on Messi, to be honest with you. It's very hard to move through this room. I would say that of all of the events that I cover this time of year, this is the one where it's like, you it's just hard to get from, like, area to area. So by the time I finally got to, let's say, like, the middle back part of the Beverly Hilton Ballroom... I'd already seen Messi but I was he was kind of back in my vicinity and then America Ferreira like notices Messi and is like I want to say hi to the dog and then like there's a real like clearing of the area so she can say hello to Messi and it is an adorable beautiful moment.
0: Yeah cuz you can't be packed in elbow to elbow and talk to a dog like you
2: need space. Yeah. I mean I I felt for Messi. I I, I don't know how much space <laughs> Messi got. Um, I tried my best, you know, I wasn't too too intrusive, but it was, it seemed like a lot. I I wouldn't bring my dog to that event.
0: And Messi is, uh, he's doing a press day on Valentine's Day. He's been (laughs) flown out from France to do this. I mean, I want to talk about Anatomy of a Fall later on, because I think a lot of people are curious about that movie, but, uh, don't, don't let anyone say Messi's not working hard on behalf of a movie for which he's not nominated. I will say (laughs) only humans are nominated. He was not
2: in the class photo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so yeah David the 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 Dominies luncheon is the one i think i'm most jealous i don't get to go to it does seem genuinely fun and in your piece i think you did the um the meter which is not a scientific thing but as you wrote is real even if we don't want to overstate it so you you did get to read the room pretty literally in that way
2: Yeah there are years where you realize in hindsight how much it actually says like, the Year of Parasite is the one that has been referenced to death probably on this podcast, but it was one where, at the time, it was a real dark horse. Can it win anything other than international feature? And when you would get into these rooms and you would hear the reaction, because every nominee is individually called, it was like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, shit, this is <laughs> this is the movie for the people in this room, many of whom were Academy members, but also who just sort of tell the story of the season in some ways. Everything, everywhere, all at once had that as well, although in that movie's case, I think it was a more obvious frontrunner, and so did Coda. And I mean, we were all on this podcast together that season, and we talked about it, and we're not predicting it yet. <laughs> um, so it so it does matter. I think this year was a little bit more scattered than those examples, so it's a little bit harder to say. But um, a movie like Barbie, which has been the story for good and for ill of the post-nomination cycle, came into that room as the with the a lot of the attention on it. And it, it really showed in the reactions to the individual nominees, the way the room moved, Messi aside. Um mm-hmm. let's just say that the combination of Barbie and Messi was pretty unbeatable.
0: Well you said Ryan Gosling also stopped to meet Messi too. So it was he really did. a Barbie on on Messi event.
2: <laughs> I mean a lot of people stopped to meet Messi. <laughs> I don't want to just give the Barbie people credit, but yes, there was a specific energy uh, that was hard to match when those two forces collided.
0: Not to jump around between events, but Kara, you were at the DGA Awards for us on Saturday where Greta Gerwig did not win, but it did seem like her speech, because all the directors get to speak, um, also made it a Barbie moment that night.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think she actually got a couple other shout outs. Um, there were several female directors that were uh, highlighted and won. So it was fun. There was a woman who won for commercial. commercial um, she directed and, and thanked Greta for inspiring her and, and other moments like that. Um, she and, like, honestly, Martin Scorsese got shout outs from everyone because I think he was sitting closest to the stage so people would catch him, like, their eyeline and then be surprised to be staring at Martin Scorsese, which <laughs> – and he was also just – seemed to be delighted to be there despite the fact that uh, Judd Apatow, who is the host, pointed out the very funny and endearing fact that they – the Directors Guild awarded Martin Scorsese a Lifetime Achievement Award – 21 years ago. Uh, huh. And he's made 16 movies since. And I like that sort of delighted <laughs> me because he's just he's out there working very hard and he's back again. And
0: yeah, it was it was just very warm room and reverent as well. I went back and counted when I, I read that in your piece because uh, I just did a, another podcast about Scorsese movies. And if you count all the TV documentaries, like it might be more than 16, then there's the pilot of vinyl in there. It's really oh, crazy wow. yeah, it how is much he right. has made. Uh, he won and that Boardwalk lifetime. Empire. Yeah, they're all <laughs> in there. I mean, life at, that Life at Achievement Award, I think is like a year or two before he finally wins for The Departed. So, you know, we all know how that turned out.
2: Yeah. One interesting thing that happens at the DGA Awards is... It is a figure like Scorsese or in the past couple of years, he's nominated both times, Steven Spielberg, who is kind of like the that person, the one who everyone cites in their speech. And they get on the stage and they see them and it becomes about them in a lot of ways the mm-hmm. night. Um, and then they don't win.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Same, same thing happened this year.
0: Um, well, Scorsese in the... Uh- Oscar-class photo that was taken at the nominees' luncheon today, he kind of gets the big point of pride up front, which, you know, the the way they arranged that photo it always feels kind of random and kind of not. Like, when you get Scorsese and Christopher Nolan sitting almost elbow to elbow in the front, you're like, okay, I get what they're doing here. Um, but that that was another chance to kind of read the room on who was getting the most attention, right, David?
2: Yeah. Um, they were called up, I would say, among the last of the, of the group as well. So... It's like where the the kind of exclamation point is going. Uh, And the last person who was called up was in a very dramatic sort of name calling because it's very routine for the most part was Robert Downey Jr. And it was very dramatic and he makes this huge, you know, grand entrance. He does a lot of mugging. Uh, when he gets there, um, and it did feel like okay, here's the Oppenheimer moment. Now, <laughs> it took a <laughs> while, but it did it did close out appropriately, I suppose. Um, how do they? Sorry to interrupt, David.
1: I'm just curious. I've I've always covered the luncheon from the poolside interview section. I've never been inside.
0: That does make it sound like you're in a cabana, like in your bathing suit. Does. Are. <laughs>
1: <It> does. <laughs> but I'm just curious. How do they decide the order people are called up in? And then is it like, is that. Something to pay attention to.
2: It's quite random. I would say it is mostly not, but certainly one can pay attention to last year, if memory serves. Jamie Lee Curtis was first, or very close to first, Uh, and this year Robert Downey Jr. was last. And I would say those were the notable positionings over the last few years. But like, it was a while this year before an actor was called, and the first one was Sterling K. Brown, and. Uh, For better or worse, the room really got active when Sterling (laughs) K. Brown's name was mentioned, and I'm sure people love Sterling K. Brown, but it also felt like ah, a name everybody knows. Um, well, he's right
0: next to Diane Warren in the picture, which I, I encourage everyone. I tweeted it. You can find this group photo. Um, he and Diane Warren look like they are up to something in that, that <laughs> corner. Like, I don't know if they're planning a collaboration or a heist or what, but like you, the mind reels looking at the two of them together.
2: She tends to do that. She has that effect. She's always in the corner. <laughs> She's always got someone quite famous and there's a, there's a level of scheming going on.
0: <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, the, the, the fun thing about the way that that evolves is every name is called individually. So it's, it's a 20 to 30 minute uh, routine. And so there's a lot of time to pass and you'll see, depending on the grouping, like certain conversations taking place, certain catch-ups like Emma Stone was right in front of Ryan Gosling or Maybe behind? I don't remember exactly. i
0: scanning the- through the photo to figure... She was right in front. I found them in, in the front, photo. Yes.
2: And then Rodrigo Prieto was behind them. Prieto was also oh, the DP. Fun. He's nominated for Killers of the Flower Moon, but he was... Uh, Also the DP of Barbie, so he starts talking to Ryan. Ryan's talking to Emma, and so you get a little grouping there. Uh, Mark Ruffalo was bringing in all kinds of people (laughs) he was standing.
0: (laughs) The most beloved, one of the most beloved. Uh, You heard him earlier this week on this very podcast.
2: Yes, you did. Um, And then, yeah, just like little things like that. Lily Gladstone was sitting right between Nolan and Scorsese, and you could see a look on her face of, like, what is my life as (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> As Christopher Nolan sort of reaches out to shake his hand, and she's just sort of sitting there with their arms over her lap. It was, oh, that's it was fun. a beautiful image.
0: It is interesting. So, all right, so in the, in the front row, you've got uh, Christopher Nolan, Lily Gladstone, Martin Scorsese, and Dave and Joy Randolph all sitting in order. Um, and, but then right behind them is Sammy Birch, screenwriter, May December, machine maker, and America Ferreira. Like, I don't know which of those rows I want to choose more. They're both like pretty enviable. But I think Nolan is right next to Emma Thomas, who is his Mm -hmm. wife and producing partner. But Sammy Birch and her husband, Alex Mechanic, who gave the story for May December, they're totally separated. That doesn't seem fair. I feel like there's some bias at
2: work here. And I believe Tom Ackerley and Margot Robbie were also back-to-back or very close. Yeah. uh, And Phineas
0: and Billie Eilish are relatively close together, but not side-by-side. I don't know. I I think they need to uh, figure out what they want to do with their pairs here. Hmm. uh,
2: All I know is I did speak with them a little bit at the luncheon. All I know is... They each had a plus one. They were at different tables, and they did not. Uh, yeah, they did not. They were not treated as a couple. I would say by the, by the uh, event.
1: Interesting. I would say I definitely want to be in the row where you don't have to feel like you have to be on your absolute best behavior because I feel like Lily, between Scorsese and Chris, Rinald, like you can't. It's true. Whereas with Emma and Ryan and Mark Ruffalo, possibly there'd be a little bit of fun.
0: Yeah, you wanna be in the you wanna be in the Mark Ruffalo row. Where like Emily Blunt is like very close to the center and she looks like she's having a great time. Like I don't know if Phineas made her laugh or someone nearby. Steven Spielberg's not too far. Um I just I mean, I could just spend all day imagining conversations between the people in
2: the it's, it's been it's been a long wait for Emily Blunt to get in that photo. She better have a good time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like the nominees luncheon is the it sounds so corny, but it does feel like the event where the people who are the nomination is the win, get to celebrate that a little bit. Like, that's sort of real, right, David?
2: Yeah. I mean, it it is designed that way. While there is more applause for the actors because they're more famous and some of the directors, everybody gets the exact same level of exposure. Yeah. And it is um, a really nice thing to see, like, the short film directors or the visual effects artists um and not even you know named as part of teams but really each individually gets to get called out get the applause and walk on the stage and this is really the only event where anything close to that can happen um just because inevitably the focus is on the uh the more known people
0: i guess that's our fault sort of but you know <laughs> you know we're just cogs in a we're cogs in a system
2: <laughs> Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your Titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? What's the right amount of socializing for you? And how do you recharge? Maybe you thrive around people, or maybe you need more alone time. Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com littlegoldmen today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash
0: well, and Kara, that's sort of the vibe of the DGA, too, because it, it's just the nominees in the five feature categories. There's a lot of DGA winners like Celine Song won an award for first-time feature. But all of the DGA nominees for feature get to give speeches, which is kind of phenomenal for, you know, someone like Greta Gerwig or Alexander Payne, who's not nominated at the Oscars. Like, they really do get a spotlight moment.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect. I, You know, it was my first time being inside. I had just done the press line before. And... You know, it made me sort of feel for the other directors who don't necessarily get that treatment. But it's a kind of a two-part situation, right? So they have someone that presents the director, and then the director themselves get to come up. So most of the directors had the actors from their films, their nominated films, kind of do their intro. So Greta was introduced by Ryan Gosling, who gave a wonderful introduction. And you could tell that sort of, you know, made Greta a little teary, which was really cute to see. Um Similarly, like, you know, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos had Mark Ruffalo and Emma Stone and who they kind of joked through their whole thing. And then Yorgos got up to joke about how he prefers to have his actors rehearse because look what happens when they don't rehearse. So it's just <laughs> like very cute. Um, and then it gives you just a more of a sense of what they've all accomplished together. So I, I like that aspect. It is of It It does make for a long uh, evening, but it's still, you know, it's it's their award show, right? It's the Director's Guild. so. Let them go forth and do what they want.
0: And Killian Murphy introduced Christopher Nolan, right? I saw the picture yeah. of them backstage. Okay, so, like, not to make this all about the horse race, but like, that's his chance to audition an Oscar speech for some number of voters. How did it go?
1: You know, that is a great question. Yeah, Killian, I think, I mean, I'm super charmed by Killian. I think. I will admit a bias toward an Irish accent anyway. So
0: <laughs> it's just the last lovely. year with Banshees of In the Sharon it was a great time, for you. Oh my you. god. It was a great year for Irish for
2: Ireland. Paul <laughs> yes, Mescal and uh-huh. uh, Barry Keoghan. Yes,
1: right, right, right. Barry? Yeah, it's been it's been a great time for Irish accents. Uh so it's just it's nice to hear Killian speak. And they they really do Killian and Christopher Nolan do have such a long history together. So yeah. Killian referenced that just in how it's been about 20 years that they've worked together. So that's just a nice way to, you know, celebrate their collaboration and the fact that the work they've done together is pretty tremendous.
0: So Chris Rinalyn winning the DGA was not really a huge surprise. Was, if anything, was a surprise, I mean is it the Barbie energy that we're sensing for both of these rooms? I mean, Kara, you had been saying that there was a like, "Oh, what if Barbie wins? It's like a, you know, stick it to it. It didn't do it. So does that kind of end the surprise factor? Or does there feel like there's real momentum there somewhere?
1: I know, it's such a great question because I was reading David's uh, recap from last year's DGA and I loved that there was sort of the surprise that the Daniels won that award. Um, You know, it wasn't like, not necessarily that was a total shock, but that was like a little moment. And I think, so this year, people were sort of, getting ready to go. It's it's a little over three hours. So people are sort of waiting for that last award to be announced. And some people were kind of standing, waiting to hear the name called. And then once Christopher Nolan was called, people were <laughs> happy to just go ahead and go to their cars, just because, you know, it wasn't necessarily the biggest surprise. Um, but also Nolan did graciously kind of hint at that in his speech, sort of, I, you know, I already got up here. I got to say something. I'm really grateful. Also there's a national board meeting tomorrow at 8:30 a.m. so that was sort of cheeky. <laughs>
0: was it like a directors board? I've been wondering about what that. What's the board he's on and how do I get on it? I think it's the DGA national board because he that's sort like of a says a crazy thing for them to do the day after the awards.
1: I, I know. I know, actually that's that's a good that's a fun question to maybe ask the directors or or Mr. Nolan as we go <laughs> as we go forward because he did say hey, and he's like and some of us have an 8:30 a.m. meeting. So it, that was it was uh it was cute in that respect.
0: Yeah. Um, what, I mean, what did you notice in terms of momentum one way or another, David? You said that Barbie was getting a lot of attention, but does it, does it feel substantial?
2: I think so. The f- interesting thing about Barbie is the the way that it wasn't nominated, the places that it was not nominated, I just don't think you can attribute to any sense of like lack of interest or passion from the Academy. We've talked a lot about the director's branch and how unusual they are relative to the rest of the Academy and how there was not a surprise at all that they didn't nominate Greta Gerwig, just like they haven't nominated directors in the past whose movies went on to win Best Picture. Or uh, Best Actress, very competitive. We've talked about why that performance would be a tougher sell for Mongo Robbie. So I think that the evidence that they love the movie is kind of there, um, it's in for screenplay, it's in for a lot of places, and clearly it has a level of support right now because of the perception that it was snubbed yeah, um, mm-hmm, in exactly. some places. And so it's it's this interesting combination of they like the movie, and it has somehow it has somehow started to ride an underdog narrative. That is what that is what I think it has in common very bizarrely with everything ever all at once in Coda, is it's the kind of movie that people are rooting for in a way because of this perception that it was done wrong um which like, we've talked about We don't need to get into that uh, the, oh, we're the merits keep getting of that into anymore. it don't worry <laughs> Well, we we can acknowledge that that is that is out there right that is that is a perception that is out there and that is clearly out there to some extent even in the industry and so when you apply that to the logistics of uh, of a campaign yeah there's a way you can use it to your advantage do I think that means barbie is like really competitive to win best picture right now probably not but you know adapted screenplay is really open and interesting um and and certainly there's a window to specifically honor Greta Gerwig there she's nominated with Noah Bomback but she is nominated there so yeah I'm I'm just curious because it is obvious that there's a love a, lo- a lot of love for the movie and a lot of interest in communicating that love which is perhaps even more important
1: yeah and I think you make a good point, too, of of the support in applause and just, you know, people reminding everyone that, like, yeah, we love this movie. It it made a billion dollars and we, we love this movie. Not everyone can be nominated. Um, it still has eight, right? Is that right? Eight. Eight total? Yeah. So I think it, it's interesting that people are going above and beyond a little bit to kind of show extra support because it does have the nominations. You know, the, the two snubs we know aren't aren't they weren't catastrophic in our minds right in the sense that no. it was it was sort of expected so i think it's like a nice showing of goodwill that you know everyone's still invited to this
0: party mm-hmm. yeah well on the same note i i do feel like we're getting To the exact point of the season where we're like, all right, we've talked about all this forever. The nominations are a few weeks away. The Oscars are almost exactly a month away. Let's find something new to talk about. And based on uh, the emails in our inbox from listeners (laughs) who I I don't think are Academy voters, but some might be, um, everyone wonders if anatomy of a fall and or zone of interest are lying in wait in some way. And I think it's mostly talking about Sandra Huller and Best Actress, which I think we've talked about plenty as well, but also you know, maybe some of them swooping in for Best Picture. Maybe there's uh, there's strength that we're not seeing. I don't know how much time you want to spend on thinking about what would happen if Zone of Interest somehow won Best Picture, but do we think there's some validity to that these two international contenders that did get those Best Director nominations have more strength than we're giving them credit for at this point?
1: I think, I mean, with Anatomy of a Fall, I think I think Anatomy of a Fall has more of a groundswell, if it were. Mm-hmm. It just, the level of support and nominee academy member interest in that movie i think keeps just getting it, it, it's it been increasing um there's a group of known actors participating in a live read um of of the film as part of you know its campaign and, and support and i think
0: that's saying something that is fascinating to me yeah, yeah. Actually, I didn't ask this when we talked about this before. Are they translating the entire thing into English, or will it be half in French and half in English, like the movie is? What a great question! Because I don't, leave I don't you know. let us know <laughs> bilingual speakers that are in that cast. Does Bob Odenkirk speak French? Maybe this is how we find out. You know who speaks English and French and somehow could have capitalized on this? Bradley Cooper famously speaks French, remember? <laughs> My God, you're right. <laughs> I can't believe I haven't thought of that before this moment in this entire season. Wow. He could have played the prosecutor. Missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing, Bradley, in all of your campaign stops? <laughs> he doesn't want to give any credit to the competition.
2: I mean, no. David, I feel like you
0: have been like an anatomy of a fall cheerleader really since the very beginning, and you've had a lot of faith in how far it can go. Um, are you increasing your belief in just how far it can go?
2: Yes, um, okay. I think I think Kara is totally right that of the two, look, Zone of Interest is just a very you know, it's it's a radical movie. It is a, is as yeah. I said, it went after the nominations. It's a miracle that that specific movie is nominated for best picture, best director, best screenplay. I think when you get to a preferential ballot for Best Picture, I just do not see how that would be remotely possible to actually win Best Picture. Anatomy of a Fall, however, is is a different kind of movie. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's in a strange sort of way a crowd pleaser. the the I remember the line coming out of Cannes was, like the French film version of an HBO limited series, which I think does still hold a lot of water. It's very accessible. It has this sheen of prestige. Um, It is brilliantly and powerfully acted. And it's just a great time. It's really, really well done. Um, And that clearly has allowed it to just be seen by so many. I mean, I cannot tell you the amount of Academy members, including a lot of famous ones, who have talked about and love that movie. I mean, it really is just so clear. Um, and so when you see the dog at the luncheon, <laughs> when you see this live read, which has a lot of famous people like Riley Keough uh, taking part, there's a there's something happening. I don't know how much... That actually can be how much you can say is happening relative to just how far ahead Oppenheimer is. Um, I feel really confident in it for Best Original Screenplay at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm watching BAFTA and Best Actress. Uh, SAG is a little bit less. Interesting, just because she's not nominated there, so it will be Lily Gladstone or Emma Stone, unless there's an Annette Bening upset. Unless it's
0: new Every episode, we must say, unless it's Annette Bening. Unless it's Annette Bening.
2: It's <laughs> well, you know, it was. I was talking to a few other journalists at the luncheon, but Best Actress was the category where the level of applause was remarkably even between the nominees. Ooh. Ooh. Um, and I would not say, you know, in, in Supporting Actor, it was really like Robert Downey Jr. and then Sterling K. Brown, but I do think that was partly because he was the first actor. Yeah. Um, and there was just like this explosion of enthusiasm. Uh, and then Actress was, you know, really all five. Supporting Actor, Robert Downey Jr. had that huge moment. And then Supporting Actress, like Dave, Andre Randolph really was the the story. An actor, you had Killian Murphy and Paul Giamatti, so hey, that was yeah, telling yeah. the story that we've been talking about. Could have seen that coming. Uh, those were the two that that generated the most enthusiasm.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to watch the, you know, watch and feel the momentum for Anatomy of Paul. I've I said this before because I was sort of late on jumping into award season coverage. I, I didn't have to be responsible for seeing these films, <laughs> uh, which, you know, sometimes it's nice to just get to see them on your own time. Um, and I was I was so dazzled by Anatomy of Fall. It was just one of those things that, again, sometimes you can be jaded by the hype um, and people loving stuff. It's like, is it that good? And
0: yes, it is. It is. <laughs> well, to cite a specific listener email from Ryan, who kind of has two different uh, past precedent theories to work from, uh, first that, you know, with the Lily Gladstone versus Emma Stone thing, uh, is Sandra Hooler the star of two Best Picture nominees, well placed to pull on Adrian Brody, which I think is an Interesting question, although that vote splitting I feel like other than that one time with Adrian Brody almost never happens Um, but then I think more intriguingly he points out the idea that in uh, 2013 2015 2016 and to some extent 2009 2019 the quote-unquote smaller movie pulled it out over the spectacle Um, so thinking of 12 Years a Slave versus Gravity uh, Spotlight versus you're gonna have to remind me what the big movie in 2015 was my memory was a by. thank you (laughs) Um, you. and uh, Moonlight and La La Land or you know Coda and Power of the Dog Um, and I you know we were talking talking about that david you're talking about parasite and coda and the luncheon being where you saw the momentum build for those smaller challengers and Messi being the star of this luncheon to me i think the difference is that oppenheimer is the juggernaut and it's a little bit better liked and a little stronger mm-hmm. than some of those front runners and that some of that underdog energy is split with barbie right there like it the the barbenheimer thing does kind of muddy the waters in a way that it wouldn't have for any of those other uh presumed front runners in the past
2: Yeah, it's a weird year. You have $2 billion grossing movies at the top of this race. I mean, that's (laughs) just weird. And it's hard to navigate around that. Um, Certainly in Best Actress, it makes it interesting for something like Anatomy of a Fall. But Best Picture, it is the whole Academy voting, ranking 1 to 10. And it's tricky to game that out when you have these two movies that I would think is safe to say virtually every Academy member has seen, has an opinion on probably li- at least likes it, it just tips the scales in a way we haven't seen in a, in quite a long time a lot of those blockbusters you mentioned we certainly predicted some of them at some point but they are both in terms of impact and overall affection uh and i say this is for example the world's biggest power of the dog stand they just didn't they don't have they don't carry the same weight i don't
1: think yeah well and to um the wonderful reader's question about Sandra, it's Sandra, right? If we're with a German. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. If we're not being all American about it. We
2: haven't been perfect about that.
1: Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I hate mispronouncing, so
0: always correct. Um, <laughs> Get the Europeans on your side. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with Sandra, I feel like,
1: you know, there's a lot of talk sometimes about sharing the wealth or spreading the wealth, right? When when the Academy mm-hmm. members are voting. And I think in this case, she would get the love for Anatomy of a Fall versus Zone of Interest because of what a powerful year she's had. But I think the performance in Anatomy of a Fall is is definitely more likable. I mean, she's incredible in Zone of Interest, but it, I mean, again, that's it's such a challenging, incredible movie. Yeah.
0: I do wonder if the vote splitting thing would be more likely if it was like... Emma Stone versus Olivia Coleman, like, some other winner in the past. Because that was the whole thing with Daniel Day-Lewis and Jack Nicholson that year, right? Like, they'd both won. No one really felt like they were in any hurry to give either of them extra Oscars. And that's how Adrienne Brody sneaks in. But I think Lily Gladstone's narrative is different enough and in some ways similar to Sandra Huller, like, an actress who a lot of people had never seen before, that that makes that lane a little trickier to find. That'd be my guess.
2: I don't think this is a year of splitting in that category um, I think they're really distinctive appeals. I think it's really popular vote, like who wins yeah, um, in the end, because there's a lot to be said for pretty much everybody in that race. Um, mm-hmm. I do maintain that. And I don't think it will, I don't think while it is very likely it will either be Lily Gladstone or Emma Stone, I don't think they're going to be far and away top two on that ticket. I think it will be more evenly spread than the other acting races.
0: This makes me w- wish once again that they would someday release the tallies of votes in the Oscar I was categories. i just going to say that. Wouldn't that be incredible <laughs> to see the spread? Ah. Uh. The thing that I feel like could happen is that 100 years later, they release the tallies. Like, we'll see the ones from the first Oscars in a couple years. And so in a, we'll never see the tallies of this race or most of the ones in our lifetimes. But just so, I, I would love to know, like, the who else got votes besides Barbara Streisand and Catherine Hepburn that year and how they landed on a tie. Right. Like, I would yes. eat that up. That's
1: like, a, what's is it which government agency? Right. Like, things are not uh, confidential <laughs> yes. after a certain <laughs> amount of
0: decades. Exactly. Let us file a FOIA request on the Oscar tallies. I that think would that's. Be so The least they could do. Um, if you're listening, Academy, please make us happy here. Um, anything else from these events in real life uh, before we move on to looking at the BAFTAs? I know you guys will be out and about in person a lot this week. There's a lot of panels. That feels pretty par for the course. Does anything stand out in terms of who's pounding the pavement most or anything else?
1: I just wanted to – one more thing about the DGAs is is, um, there was one – there were three Lifetime Achievement Awards um, presented. And the one that, like, stopped the room silent in a really emotional, powerful way was the Lifetime Achievement Award presented in television for director David Nutter. Um, Mm. He's – he had just the most beautiful reel that was presented. I mean, the – it had to have been, like, his favorite collaborators in the business that put together the reel. It was gorgeous. It was – so representative of the incredible impact he's had in television. Um, and he has Parkinson's, and so he's, you know, is limited a little bit, his, his mobility and his speech, but he has such a wonderful, like, way about him when he got up to the stage. And it just, it was such a beautiful moment that I definitely cried <laughs> because he's just so passionate about the job still despite dealing with some new challenges. And it was really tremendous to kind of see the whole room stand up twice for him and for him to kind of power through um despite his challenges so i just wanted to point that out because he's his resume is incredible he did the red wedding at game of thrones um he did oh, yeah. a lot of X files he's worked on a ton of greg berlanti shows i mean he's he's done a ton of like powerful action and drama so it was such a lovely moment
2: oh that's really sweet
0: See, that's another way that award season is more than just back patting for the same people you see on TV all the time. There's so much more to it. Yeah. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the Internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Okay, David, tell us what's going to happen at the BAFTA Awards. I don't you, you don't live in <laughs> England, but I do feel like you have a uh, secret knowledge, if only because you understand their nomination process, which is completely opaque to most people. <laughs> I mean, um, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very I complicated. Can't, I can't explain it right now. No, I, I, do, just, I would I, I would can't. not put it on you to explain it now. But it does mean that the the nominees are interesting. But the winners are not always so. The winners often fall in lockstep up with the Oscars. They didn't last year. They might this year. What are we expecting here?
2: Yeah, last year they did not at all. It was a very, very weird year. And yet, I would argue, they were still incredibly um, useful in terms of understanding the Oscars because they were the ones who really signaled just how much love there was for All Quiet on the Western Front, um, which did go on to beat... Elvis in a lot of below-the-line categories that surprised people, Um, and that really was foretold at BAFTA, even though it also won a bunch of other awards, uh, that it did not go on to win at the Oscars. This year, I think—yeah, I think you're right, Katie. I think that we will see more overlap, and I think that the closeness of some of these races can be— you know, you can read BAFTA in a way uh, to help understand momentum and where industry sentiments are leaning and things like that. So in addition to the stuff we've talked about a lot, actor being between Giamatti and Murphy, um, and I think Murphy having the edge there um, for a number of reasons, um, and actress probably being between Emma Stone and Sandra Huller. Lily Gladstone is not nominated there. There are a lot of other areas where you know, we can see how things are moving. Does Oppenheimer win Best Adapted Screenplay? Or does American fiction win Best Adapted Screenplay? Or poor things? Uh, I don't know the answer to that.
0: Barbie Um, being nominated in original at BAFTAs, which is crazy. And I
2: I, I think pretty clearly will not win there. It doesn't seem like that's its audience. Um, So I don't think that would rule it out for Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars. But like, this is probably where Anatomy of a Fall wins a big award. Mm-hmm. So that's something to look for, little things like that. But I think in the end, it'll be a lot of Oppenheimer.
1: I am really hoping for a couple softburn wins. Like, let's, like <laughs> Roswin Pike. Rosman Pike. You just honestly. threw chaos
2: into this. Uh...
1: <laughs> because, I mean, the BAFTAs have a, the BAFTAs occasionally give us a surprise, right? And and uh, uh, quite often, yeah. I think Rosamund is so fantastic in that movie, and I obviously like I absolutely understand why why she hasn't necessarily risen to like be a nominated person in all the the events. I I'm like, come on, BAFTA, just for fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I look, if, if you get, like, a homegrown advantage uh, in these categories, Rosamund Pike, although I guess Claire Foy's in there also. She's British, so it'd be down to the two of oh, them yeah. and Supporting Actress. Dang it. Um, but, no, like, no one's going to think that Dave and Jerry Randolph isn't going to win the Oscar if Rosamund Pike wins for Saltburn. So just, like, have fun with it, guys. Like, I think that's okay. Exactly. See?
2: Especially, though, because the BAFTAs are... Uh... Not great with honoring actors of color. Yeah, um, that is also
0: true. It wouldn't do mm-hmm. much for that reputation if that happened.
2: So, last year's pretty much across the board snubbing of Everything Everywhere All At Once in favor of The Banshees of Inisharan, an excellent movie, which mm-hmm. I was happy won multiple acting awards somewhere, was, I think, slightly reflective of that membership. They have notably not even nominated Regina King for her Oscar winning performance in Beale Street Could Talk. You could really go down the list. Lupita Nyong'o lost for 12 years a slave. Haven't they
0: never nominated Denzel Washington?
2: They have never nominated Denzel Washington. That's crazy. (laughs) I mean, the reason the nomination process is as insane as it is is because. that side of it, especially, had been getting really problematic, yeah. and they needed to institute a, a save essentially for deserving yeah. people who were not being nominated, who happen to often not be white. Yeah. Uh, it's a it was a really disturbing trend. Um, so <laughs> all that said, uh, if Devine Joy Randolph loses here, a it does not say anything in terms of her Oscar chances. She's still a lock there, and B. It says a lot about BAFTA, even if Rosamund Pike is great in Saltburn.
0: Yeah. Yeah. OK, well, OK, but in supporting actor, there are no British people nominated and it's all white people. So, OK, uh, clean slate. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Mescal is Irish, uh, neighboring country. Maybe that gives him an edge there. But again, like Robert Downey Jr. losing that would say nothing of his Oscar chances. So um, maybe give it to Dominic Sessa Could do something weird. They do really
2: it? liked the holdovers. They
0: did. David, you'd mentioned how
1: the DGA has more international uh, flavor in its voting body. Do the BAFTAs ever indicate any of the Oscar categories?
2: They actually are the sort of international. Aha. Uh-huh. They they reflect like oh how much is the European block going to matter you know in a given category for the Oscars? Not always, but they can sort of signal it. So yeah, yeah, that, yeah that, that that with all quiet, that was a huge thing. I don't know that. This year it again it's just a little bit more muddied cuz Christopher Nolan is British mm-hmm. and there's a whole lot of um whole lot of Brits in competition this year but there's also a French movie that's very popular. Jonathan Glazer is British but you have in the zone of interest a German language film. Uh, so there's a lot of different kinds of representation.
0: You know, I'm going to be keeping an eye on it. And maybe this is, you know, less competitive than I think it is because Barbie underperformed at the BAFTAs a little bit. But uh, Poor Things did win for um, Fantasy Feature Film at the Art Directors Guild Awards recently, um, which was nominated opposite Barbie. And I wonder if it's going to repeat there. I think production design is one of the most interesting craft categories we have this year. And um, I would be hard pressed to choose between those two. And I wonder what BAFTA will do.
2: It, It also won the British Cinematographers Guild. Um oh, wow. So that category is widely assumed to be Oppenheimer. I mean, I think Poor Things is really surging. I do think Emma Stone will win here. Um, it just feels like really strong competition. And you can say that, honestly, about the Oscars as well. Um, she just feels really on an upward trajectory. Um, but I'm curious to see how much Poor Things will win here. It feels like it, it's really well positioned.
1: After seems to
0: love Yorgos, too. Yeah?
2: Yeah. 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 That's where Olivia Coleman won.
0: Ah, see the suspense. You're building so much suspense into these awards that uh, are not as super easy to watch in the United States, but but doable. But keep
2: in mind, though, they they did get everything wrong last year. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: but I, but we think of it as not wrong, right? We like it when people go their own way.
2: Yes, I. I, I... I Yeah, that was my late night brain talk.
0: (laughs) But no, I think it's really easy for us to be like, well, we need it to predict things. And, you know, it throws us personally into chaos. But I think all of us in our in our genuine hearts root for different people to win. It makes it harder to predict, but it makes it for a better season.
2: Yes, absolutely. uh, Wrong only in terms of people using it to predict the Oscars, which you can sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't work out.
0: There's too many good movies this year for all the same people to keep winning that does it for this week's show we'll be back next week to talk about those BAFTA awards and so much other stuff I think we're going to look ahead a bit also at the spring TV season which is um, coming whether or not you realize it there's a lot of good stuff on the horizon you can find us in the meantime at Vanity Fair on social media at VF Awards Insider I am out there on my own at Katie Rich and David
2: David Canfield 97
0: and Kara, Kara J. Warner our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs
2: And this week's award for what we think is the real reason that Richard Lawson is missing this week goes to Katie Rich.
0: He and Diane Warren look like they are up to something.
2: I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.